my, my job is to somehow make them curious enough or persuade them by hook or crook to get more aware of themselves and where they came from and what they are into and what is already there and just to bring it out. This is what compels me to compel them. And I will do it by whatever means necessary. Welcome to the Black Girls Heal podcast, where we talk about healing our intimacy disorders, unresolved trauma, and building a healthy relationship with first ourselves and then others. Every episode, we will talk about advice you can apply today to break unhealthy patterns and grow in your self-worth. I'm Sheena Lachey, love addiction coach and trauma specialist. Let's begin. Hello, hello, and welcome to the latest episode of Black Girls Heal. So this week, we are going to talk all about self-compassion and how to build it, what it looks like, and some practical steps you can use to apply it to your life. For this episode, when I was thinking about the content for it, I just thought how I already had an interview with the wonderful Sarah Suzuki, who is a therapist up in Chicago, and she's doing amazing things um, for social justice. Um, She's a speaker, she's a motivator, and she's just an awesome clinician. And so um, I did an interview with her for my old podcast, Love Junkie, And so if you've been following me for a while since back then, you've heard this interview before, but she said it so beautifully. She broke it down so well, and she gave some really clear, actionable things that everyone who's listening could do. And so I just thought it would be better just to have that be our interview and our episode for this week. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. Before we get started, let's take a small break to say thank you to this week's sponsors. Attention to all my proud plant parents. It is time to give all of your plant babies the best nutrition you can, starting from the bottom up. And that starts with the best soil to help them grow happy, nourished, and strong. Coast of Maine is an organic soil brand that is approved for organic growing and has been sourced from ocean waters and farms for over 28 years. With a full range of products to support every garden and lawn, Coast of Maine products are made to restore roots to the natural world. If your soil lacks appropriate nutrients for success, by adding Cosamain products, it will help regenerate the healthy microbes on your soil and set you up for gardening success. And if you have a vegetable garden, not only do you benefit via an abundant harvest, but find that there is less need to maintain and feed throughout your season. Cosamain continually perfects the art and science of sourcing, mixing, and composting products worthy of the people and place that inspired their brand and the healthier world it was built to serve. Cosamain believes in nurturing relationships with local retailers. The products are carried by tons of local retail partners who can provide advice and insight that is not found in the big box stores. Costa Maine knows from beginner to expert, anyone who takes a hand to the land has something to offer the growing community for gardeners everywhere, which is why I love how they make organic gardening simple and approachable for everyone. So let's get growing. Visit CoastofMaine.com to find a local retailer near you. Coast of Maine, like the state with an E.com. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. Before we get started, let's take a small break to say thank you to this week's sponsors. 
With the crazy heat waves we are experiencing this summer, especially here in Texas, it can be hard to stay fresh while you're out and about. And that's why I've incorporated the Honey Pots Foaming Wash and Wipes into my daily routine. The Cucumber Aloe Honey Pot Wipes provide a quick refresh when I leave a day of errands and head to a girls' night with friends. If you're heading to an outdoor concert or festival, the Honey Pot Wipes are a must to keep you fresh between the fun. Both the Foaming Wash and Wipes are plant-derived, backed by science, dermatologist-approved, gynecologist approved and hypoallergenic get 25% off your first order from the honeypot.co slash summer that's t-h-e-h-o-n-e-y-p-o-t dot c-o slash summer to get 25% off your first order and join the hive today so that is what we have going on for this podcast As always, if you enjoy it, please tag me on Instagram and let me know your thoughts. And without further ado, let's get into the interview. So today on the podcast, I have Sarah Suzuki with us. Hey, Sarah, how are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. Really glad to be here. Woohoo! So I'm excited too. <laughs> so um, before we get started today, our topic is self-compassion and how do we give it to ourselves. Um, but before we get started, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so um, I own a group practice in Chicago and our focus is on uh, drinking behavior and helping people who are are not quite sure if they've got a drinking problem or maybe they're worried about a loved one with a drinking problem and... Um, our whole focus is helping people shift into um, getting control of their lives. Um, and I also do some consultation for healthcare systems on motivational interviewing and um, improving patient care and that kind of stuff. So a lot of it is focused on um, behavior change all around. And uh, that's what all of us love to do in our group. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I'm so excited to have you. So the way that I want to tell our audience a little bit about how we connected is uh, Sarah and I are part of a networking group. And in that group is is a Facebook group. We were discussing a a topic and I was overanalyzing something that was happening that just really triggered me. Um, And then having some shame that I was feeling really triggered and kind of that self, that inner critic that says you shouldn't feel that way. Um, and so Sarah is just a beast at self-compassion and validation and just helping people work through that. And so Sarah did that for me. And I just thought that she would be the perfect person to come and talk about self-compassion and how to have more of it in our lives. So I'm really happy that you're here. Well, thank you. That's such a kind introduction. And it's it's amazing how um, through these really painful experiences, we can form you know, powerful connections with other people. And I think that's, it speaks to the nature of resilience. So it was really wonderful that we could connect through something that was, that was painful. And, mm-hmm. um, and so I think that that's what this is all about. So really glad to be here too. Yeah. Awesome. Well, let's go ahead and get started. How would you describe self-compassion? So uh, I think it is really good to start with the definition because we hear so much about self-love and self-compassion, and sometimes we have to pull back and say, what does this actually mean? Um, the way I understand self-compassion is that it's, it's practicing what I would call courageous love, which is offering oneself trust, 
respect and radical acceptance at a time when you feel you deserve it least. Hmm. So it's one thing to be compassionate towards myself. Um, if I feel righteous anger, like somebody wronged me and I'm telling myself, Oh yeah, well, you know, I deserve to feel this anger, but, but to offer myself love and compassion when there's a voice in my head saying, you don't deserve this. You don't get it. Um, that is what self-compassion is all about. And it's, it requires so much courage. Oh my gosh. I had to write that down. Trust, acceptance, <laughs> um, you least deserve it. That's, that's really powerful. Yeah, it's, um, I think of it as, you know, if you, if you set up like a, a, a teepee with three legs, that's what relationships, healthy relationships are all about. Um, trust, so in this case, trusting oneself, trusting that our feelings are real, that our reality is real, that our truth is real. And then respect, offering ourselves self-respect, um, not abandoning ourselves, not harming ourselves. And then radical acceptance, um, which is saying this is what's actually happening. This is how I feel. Um, and so there's just, it is, it's a practice to have to do that. And, um, and so many of us have to find our way to that form of courageous love with no, no previous lessons, no previous models. Mm. How does one find their way? If this is a new concept to them, how would they do that? So I guess what I would, what I would offer is most of us try to get this from somebody else, um, myself included. So we grow up in the world and we're looking for love and belonging. And we think to ourselves, I'm going to find this through a romantic partner or I'm going to find this through an amazing friend. And what's so hard is self-compassion can't be offered by anybody else. Mm. And another human being is always going to fail to give us those three things all at once um, at some moment. And so we end up in this really frustrating shame cycle when we can't get that from somebody who we want to love us. And it's at that moment of just feeling completely abandoned and alone that we have to say, okay, something has to change. Um, and I think that's how a lot of people find their way to me. Um, so I work with addiction um, and a lot of times people deal with their frustrations of not getting the love that they want by turning to alcohol, by turning to drugs, by turning to addictive behaviors. And they get to a point where that the, the consequences are so significant that they say something has to change and so they come to me. Hmm. and what we do together is say, okay, how can we get you to practice um, trust, respect, and radical acceptance towards yourself? Um, and there are a lot of different tools that, that we use depending on um, where someone is at. And, and most of them are not things like saying an affirmation in the mirror, which can make us feel worse, mm -hmm. um, but doing things like, you know, visualizing um, what would it be like to to feel anxious and to picture that, um, that there's like a, this loving light that is, you know, accepting that anxiety or to meditate and imagine, okay, I'm seeing this fear, um, and this, this feeling of failure, these self-criticisms, what would it be like to observe it from afar instead of feeling, um, like it's somehow infused within me? Um, and so a lot of it is just trying to get, 
distance without rejecting it. Um, because a lot of addiction is about avoiding taking a look at what that's all about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really powerful. You know, something I hear that you're describing are a lot of mindfulness skills. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Could you talk a little bit about how you would describe mindfulness? Oh, gosh. <laughs> I know it's a big concept. So just anything that comes yeah. to mind. <laughs> so I am not a mindfulness guru. Um, and and I think there's really uh, significant conversations around mindfulness. Like, you know, have we appropriated mindfulness or who gets to practice mindfulness? Um, but in this instance, hmm. um, what I would describe it as is saying, what would it be like to to notice what's coming up within me and to describe it the way I might describe um, the furniture in this room. Um, So noticing um, a bookshelf and seeing what that looks like or looking out the window and describing what I can see um, instead of feeling like it's all all bundled up inside of me um, and and just being able to look at all of those things non-judgmentally with a sense of okay, this just is, um, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to make a decision about whether or not this is good or bad. I'm going to observe and describe what's happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just to piggyback off that, I'm also not a mindfulness guru, but <laughs> what, what you're talking about makes me think of just the ability to have a feeling or an emotion or a thought without reacting to it. So if I feel anxious, I don't have to immediately look to try to solve it or self-soothe or to fix it that I could just notice okay I'm feeling anxious or I'm feeling frustrated and just to sit with those feelings um without letting it overpower me yes and and I think one of the common misconceptions I see um with my clients with mindfulness is they think mindfulness means having a blank mind and not noticing anything it's just all blank um, but in a way, that's it's so fitting that that is what people think mindfulness is because their aim, usually when they come and see me, is I don't want to feel anything negative anymore. I don't want to have anything negative happening in my, in my life. They want it to just be a blank slate. And mm. mindfulness shows us that, you know, it's just it's just what is and that we don't have to do anything with it in that moment. We can see what sort of wisdom um, the feeling or the thought or the sensation is trying to show us. Um, But it's hard. It's uncomfortable. And, um, and it's, it's not, it's often not relaxing at all. Hmm. Um, So, so yeah, uh, but that's, I do incorporate um, some mindfulness practices in, in the work that I do and encourage people to um, do the mindfulness-based stress reduction program, which is that free eight-week program that um, has been validated by research. Mm. Um, you know, but but sometimes what we end up doing in session is is visualizations um, that are a little bit different from mindfulness. It's it's sort of it's creating a resource. Um, so imagining um, that there is a loving resource that's available within oneself. Um, and so that's, that's perhaps closer to, I think, uh, an influence from hypnosis. Although again, I'm not a hypnotherapist. Mm. Um, but I think, uh, I think that is also 
really necessary as well because our clients come to us under-resourced. Um, so it's that balance of, you know, the accountability of mindfulness, but then also providing um, a sense that I can, I can actually handle this negative feeling that I have this ability within me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, you know, you said something earlier that I was wondering if you could expand on um, about affirmations and that saying affirmations might actually make someone feel worse. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, so um, I think about like the self-esteem movement, if you can call it that, in the 90s where the whole idea is to just, you know, say, uh, oh, I'm so great, I'm so amazing, I'm wonderful. Um, and I see echoes of that in some of the positive psychology movement and, um, or this idea of manifesting that, you know, we can just manifest positive things by thinking positive. And so sometimes we end up using those ideas in this very oppressive way where I, I should be able to look in the mirror and I should be able to say I'm beautiful and I'm amazing and I should believe it. And then when we don't. We feel like we failed or we're like we're not good enough. And then it plays into that old core fear of being less than. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and sometimes I, I've worked with people where they, they tape affirmations to you know, the fridge or the mirror that are, are positive and they find it helpful. Um, but I don't know if I would always use that as a starting point um, because if we say – I'm worthy of love and I'm amazing and we don't believe it, it can make us just feel worse. Um, like we are somehow isolated from the rest of the world that somehow benefits from this intervention. Mm-hmm. Like there's something inherently wrong with us, right? Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. So I know you already mentioned a little bit about how self-compassion looks in your work with addiction. Is there anything else you would add? Yeah. Um, I guess, I guess that there are, you know, sometimes I draw this out for people that um, addiction is, it's the opposite of self-compassion and addictive behavior or self-destructive behavior. And when I say that, um, addictive behaviors can be anything from, of course, drugs and alcohol, sex, spending money, um, sexual relationships, um, can be impatience or rage or isolating, self-harm, um, you know, binging and purging, all of these kinds of things um, that represent an abandonment of self when we really need love. Hmm. Um, and, and something just remarkable that um, I have, I've learned um, you know, from my work with clients is somebody can be years into recovery from drugs and alcohol and uh, or from self-harm and they'll be going about their day and they'll have this thought that is an urge to use or to slip and go back and of course they find it very distressing because they haven't used or drank in in so long in years and, and what I found is that sometimes our brain has this memory of, okay, when you feel sad or abandoned or less than, or you feel rejected, this is what you do to feel better. And, and all we get is this language of the urge or the craving. Um, and so when somebody comes in to me and they're, they're panicking about having this urge, we take a look at, okay, 
your your mind is telling you um, that this old pain is coming up. And so in the past, you would feel loneliness, and then you would start drinking. Um, and you may not feel lonely right now, but that urge showed up instead. And so then we try to find a way to to practice compassion for that feeling of um, feeling of loneliness that has been showing up. Um, but quite often, you know, addictive behavior is um, it's something that happens when we feel like we have failed to live up to these expectations or standards that we have set for ourselves, and um, and an addiction numbs the pain, and it also proves to us um, that we just are not worthy of love. It's like, okay, well, you know what? If I really am a bad person, if I'm a failure, um, then I'm just going, you know, then I'll just do it, right? Who cares? Mm. Um, and then we swing back into, okay, that was really bad. Today I'm going to be perfect. I'm going to, like, eat kale and go do yoga, <laughs> and I'm not going to spend any money, cut on my credit cards, pour the liquor down the drain. Mm. Uh, I'm going to break up with this guy. Uh, and, and, and then that is just other side of the coin with addictive behavior it's all a shame cycle mm-hmm. um and so the way through that to break that cycle is through the self-compassion practice um facing our fear with a sense of love instead of avoiding shame mm-hmm. yeah i am hearing you talk a lot about balance and not living in the extremes the all or nothing either i'm all in my addiction or i try to avoid it and even then it's just you're swinging back and forth from both sides yes. of the pendulum and then yes. also, yeah and then also to bring back something you said earlier about um you know often we're looking for other people to tell us that we're okay and good job hey we hope you're enjoying the podcast so far let's take a quick break to say thanks to this week's sponsors as our country continues to grow and make new meaning of the intersection between current and historical events It is so important to stay connected to the voices and the leaders who are influencing what progress, connection, equality, and truth mean to us as Black people. The next generation of influential Black voices can be found on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of Blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's Black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the Black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. From Bobby Shmurda to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations, there's no limit to the range of Black stories, Black truths. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection from some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Here are a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center Black voices. It's NPR Noir. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, nuanced, and Black as the country we reflect. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths on NPR wherever you get your podcasts. We hope you're enjoying the podcast so far. Let's take a quick break to say thanks to this week's sponsors. Bob and everything, but self-compassion is really about 
taking that ownership yourself and you using you becoming the mechanism for self-soothing you are the one who gives yourself love and in that way you come back to yourself yes yeah because you know we can have amazing friends and coworkers and partners um and social supports who who give us you know love and support but there are just those times where life feels so overwhelming and we feel so um we feel so much shame that we have to guide ourselves through that moment, um, and 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 that's that's the other resource is that that self love. Um, but it doesn't happen overnight. It really is a practice. It's like building a new muscle, um, and uh, and it is it's a challenge. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey. We hope you're enjoying the podcast so far. Let's take a quick break to say thanks to this week's sponsors. Ladies, I am so excited to share that for this podcast episode, I've partnered with eHarmony, the dating app that helps people find real genuine connection. And for me, this app has absolutely held true to their promise, connecting me to a truly incredible relationship and partnership with someone who truly gets me. Dating apps can be so hard when it comes to filtering through persons who you may not have anything in common with or who may not be super serious about the process and committed. With eHarmony's one-of-a-kind compatibility quiz, you get a baseline standard in every match of your compatibility around values, communication styles, likes and dislikes, energy levels, and so much more. My experience with eHarmony has always been superb with not only the quality of men I was matched with, but also with our compatibility when dating, eliminating the stress of feeling as if I was wasting my time. So join the dating app that helps users find their most authentic relationships. eHarmony, get who gets you and start free today. So what are some misconceptions around self-compassion? I think we kind of already hit on it already as far as what affirmation is and um, so the self-esteem movement are there any other misconceptions that you would highlight or add um so the some of the misconceptions around um self-compassion uh that i would offer would be um that that it's somehow selfish um that it's this you know form of being like oh you know i'm gonna give myself like a bubble bath and I'm going to go get a massage and I'm going to, you know, do all these things. And, you know, like this self care idea, right. Mm-hmm. Which we're seeing a lot of in media, mm-hmm. um, you know, and then it's just going to be this, you know, wonderful, luxurious experience. I mean, self-compassion feels really hard and it's really painful because we don't feel like we deserve it. And so it can feel, um, very, very painful to do instead of luxurious and, and also, um, this idea that somehow we're being selfish and self-centered uh, by offering ourselves compassion. Um, a lot of my clients who struggle with addictions are actually some of the most loving and sensitized people to the needs of others. They love to give and to be generous. And, and we might counter this by saying, oh, well, their addictions hurt other people, which is true. Um, but they really do care about other people. And they say to me again and again, I just would rather take care of other people than take care of myself. Mm. And, um, and of course, what we find is that somebody is capable of much greater love and caregiving and nurturing when they know what it feels like to offer themselves compassion first. Um, 
because without that, we're just going through the motions. Uh, we don't have the spirit of nurturing um, really to give. And so, so part of what I work with people on is saying, okay, you have to offer yourself compassion before you're offering anyone genuine compassion. Um, and it takes away that expectation of, okay, oh, well, I gave my friend, you know, my friend had a breakup and, you know, I showed up with food and I hung out with her all weekend and I was, I was there for her. And then when I went through my breakup, like she didn't even show up mm -hmm. um, where it's this transaction, right? Mm -hmm. And when we come at it from a place of, all right, I've offered myself compassion and I'm going to help my friend through this time. We offer love to people we care about without expectation of any return. And it just feels like a wonderful act, um, free of expectation. And, um, and that, that really deepens intimate relationships with friends and family and partners uh, because we don't have an attachment to outcome. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Something that what you're saying also makes me think of is oftentimes with my clients when I'm describing self-compassion and they're hitting a roadblock on how to, um, I guess, allow themselves to do that. I, I do the externalization part where I say, well, if your best friend or if someone else was going through what you're going through now, what would you say to them? How would you validate them? Would, would you judge them? And then using that ability to generate that themselves we use that to build that efficacy for them going forward. Exactly. And, um, and there's so many methods I think that can help with that. Um, there are models of, um, writing a compassionate letter to a friend. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, those are things where you can Google different exercises, um, that you can do for yourself. You're like, okay, I don't feel like I deserve compassion, but you know, what would I say to a friend? Um, sometimes, uh, I'll have people actually imagine that there's a friend in the room and I say, this person is struggling with, and of course I describe everything that my client's struggling with, you know, tell me what you are going to say to them right now. And so we really externalize it. Mm -hmm. um, and, and again, it's not, they'll be like, oh my gosh, I know I, I really should be more loving mm -hmm. to myself and saying, you know, no, like this isn't about shaming yourself further. It's about saying like, wow, you have this amazing ability to be caring for others and like how can we keep you and your energy restored so that you can keep doing this um, and that you have to build a foundation for yourself mm -hmm. in order to continue giving to others um, but but it is it's a process mm -hmm. yeah give to others and extend that same grace to yourself too yes always mm -hmm. always so you actually just led into my next question, which was if I'm listening to this and I know that I'm struggling with negative self thoughts and image, and I want to start offering myself self-compassion, are there any other exercises outside of the, the chair exercise or the letter to myself that you recommend to me? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, um, so much of this stuff has to be, I think, nonverbal, you know, because, as soon as we get into this verbal part of our brain, um, we get caught in the old story that we're telling ourselves. And so something else that I'll recommend is to, to take a piece of paper and to fold it in half and on one side to write down, if I'm doing everything perfectly right, if I am the 
perfect person who I want to be? What are all of the things I would be doing on a daily basis, right? And and not to say that this is the goal, but on this this half of the paper, it'd be like, you know, the um, the model citizen or the picture of perfection. So maybe it's, you know, I go to yoga every day and I dress perfectly well, and my friends think that I'm amazing, and I'm patient with my children, um, always patient with them, and. I'm nurturing and loving to my partner and my home is beautiful and I go to work and everyone feels like I am helping them out and um, you know I uh, I eat salads and I go to bed at 9 p.m. I mean so it can become like this almost depressively terrifying list right but what these are all the things that go through our mind where we're like I should do this I should do this I should do this mm-hmm. no debt uh, I should have you know vacations all this stuff mm-hmm and then on the other side of the paper, because um, it's easy to generate a, a pretty long list of the stuff, is okay. When, <laughs> when I am not doing one of those things, because every single day, if we're living by the standard of perfectionism, if we fail one of those items, we tend to feel a lot of shame. It brings us back to our core fear. So let's say I come home, I've had this great day, I've done all of my stuff, and and then uh, one of my kids says something and I snap at them. And all of a sudden this standard of being a perfect patient mother is just eroded. And so the whole picture falls apart. So the other side of the paper is, what do I do to numb out that feeling of shame? And it could be um, that I isolate or I start um, gossiping about other people or um, I start sending uh like you know messages to people um who i used to date you know like to try and get them to talk to me and tell me i'm beautiful or um i you know wake up at two in the morning and i eat everything in the fridge or i start drinking too much wine or um i blow up at my coworkers. i mean so all the behaviors that that we consider to be bad that actually um, are the other side of the cycle and to really list them out, and, and while doing so, even though it can feel painful, to realize that these behaviors have a function. Um, they're trying to mask our feeling of pain and also show us that we deserve punishment. Um, and then to open the paper up and to say, okay, this is a circle, right? On one side I've got this, and the other side I've got this, and I just go through this again and again every single day. Um, what is the fear that's driving all of this? Is it that I'm a failure? Is it that I'm unworthy? Is it that there's something wrong with me? Is it that I'm always going to be alone? Um, and to break through the circle, how can I take my greatest strength, which all of us have a greatest strength, um, mm-hmm. that is with us no matter what. So it could be that we're caring or uh, persistent or um, that we are generous or um, honest, um, and how can I use that strength as my armor and approach this fear with a sense of love for myself? Mm-hmm. Um, so if I am a caring person to others, and that's my greatest strength, and I've got a fear of being less than, unworthy, how can I say, okay, I'm going to be caring towards myself, and I'm going to move towards this fear of this idea of I'm not worthy and to say, like, like you say with your clients in session, 
what would I say to someone who feels that they have no worth to offer them love? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that is, that's something that I will draw out with clients a lot, but certainly people on their own can draw out this shame cycle. And quite often, even the act of identifying what it is we do and what it is we expect of ourselves and what it is we're afraid of can take away that anxiety and shame so we can say, all right, I'm going to approach this differently now. We're giving the monster a name. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it takes away its power. So when it comes back, instead of you thinking, oh, this is a fact, this feeling is a fact, you're able to label it, no, this is just part of this shame cycle and this is something I can unlearn and I can do something different. Yes, it's, because if you think about like scary movies or what scares us when we're children, you know, the scariest parts of scary movies are not when the monster is just on the screen. It's this idea that they're somewhere and they're close by and something's going to happen. And if you just see a picture of a monster, um, just a two-dimensional picture, I mean, it can be scary or creepy, but it's not terrifying and we're not running from it. And, uh, and that is really the first step towards empowerment and compassion is to say, how am I going to give this a name? Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. That's a great exercise. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, uh, quite often when we're going through this together, um, we're on the side of like, you know, what would perfect look like? People will say to me, yes, that's what I want. That's why I came to you. And then we get to the other side of the, the bad behaviors and the addiction and the numbing. And they say, yeah, that that's really bad. And then when I show them how that is intimately connected to the standards of perfection, it's this moment of, oh my gosh, now we have to break the cycle. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm like, I'm going to do this with my clients. <laughs> so I really like the way that you broke it down. Well, um, thank you. And also, I guess for other therapists, yeah. I would recommend, um, you know, all of us, we, we can do this for ourselves. I mean, I, I certainly did this for myself years ago. And, um, and all of us have at least one core fear. Some of us have many, but we've got one for sure. Like the, you know, the fear beliefs and to draw it out for ourselves, because sometimes, you know, we can, we can play that out with clients in our own work. And so when we name it, um, we take the power away. Um, and it is, it's a humbling exercise, um, but I've done it for, I've done it with youth. I've done it with groups of adults. I've done it one-on-one and all of us have something that where we can take away its power by beginning to name it and to say to ourselves that we have what it takes to break the cycle. Mm. That's great. That's really powerful. Thank you, Sarah. Um, so I'm going to ask you about resources in a second, but first I wanted to ask if there's anything else about self-compassion or anything that we've talked about today that you wanted to add or elaborate on. Yeah. Um, well, maybe what makes this challenging is the same inner critic, uh, that can drive a shame cycle is going to show up when we're doing this work around self-compassion. So, um, so perhaps being like, okay, well, I should be, I should offer trust, respect, radical acceptance to myself. And then the minute we distrust ourselves or we don't offer ourselves acceptance, we go back to an old behavior. We think, oh my gosh, I screwed this up. There I go again. And to remember that this is going to keep, it's going to keep showing up as we're doing this 
courageous work, um, but really to view it as a, a hero's journey that, you know, heroes aren't just people who, you know, go and journey and they get a medal, that a lot of it involves going through this feeling of challenge and darkness and that we're going to make mistakes and that that's part of what makes us human um, and not to give up uh, when we have a setback. Um, and even practicing that, okay, you know what, I had a setback and I'm, gonna, I'm going to keep practicing that, um, is its own self-compassion practice. You know, practicing that we are worthy of this kind of work, even though we don't feel like it. Um, and so that's, that's probably the last thing I would offer um, about doing this type of work. Yeah, I, I agree. That is about progress, not perfection, right? Absolutely, yes. Mm -hmm. Great. Well, are there any last resources that you would recommend, books, websites, or anything before you talk about your stuff? Oh, yeah. Um, I think, you know, one of my favorite meditations um, that, you know, people can find on YouTube or a number of meditation apps that I think can um, indirectly but very directly get at this work is a loving kindness meditation where we sit and we practice offering um, offering the world and other people and somebody who's creating difficulty for us a sense of um, love. And the whole meditation also creates an inner resource that uh, of being loving towards ourselves. So loving kindness meditation. Um, there's a free one on the app Insight Timer. Mm. Um, and for those who are you know, beginning to think about uh, addiction from the perspective of, you know, addiction coming from a sense of wanting love and belonging. I really love the uh, TED Talk, Everything You Think You Know About Addiction is Wrong, uh, which is about how people fall into addiction because they're looking for connection. Um, and what I would say is that part of that connection has to be to our own self-compassion. Um, and I love all the work of Gaber Mate, who um, is an addiction psychiatrist and just this wonderful voice of the connection between trauma and addictive behaviors. And um, he has this fabulous book, if you haven't read it yet, it's called In the Realm of the Hungry Ghosts. And um, mm. you know, he just really has wonderful work that, that offers tremendous compassion, um, particularly for those who maybe love somebody who is struggling with an addiction. I think it it can offer uh, a perspective on it that is really humanizing. Um, so those would be three things that I think are, are good starting points. Hmm. No, I hadn't heard that last book before, so I have to add it to my list. Yeah, it's, it's really good. Hmm. Okay, well, where can we find you? Yeah, so uh, my group practice website is uh, www.chicagocompasscounseling.com. Um, compass like a compass rose um, and our social media is at Chicago compass um, and and then also I've got a blog a little bit neglected um, but I'm going to be picking it up again really soon uh, at moderateyourdrinking.com hmm that's so great okay all of this is going to be in the show notes for sure for people to easily click on but in the meantime, Sarah, thank you so much for being on the show today. It was really wonderful, and I feel like I learned a lot. I'm looking forward to doing that shame cycle exercise with clients and even myself just to see what's there. 
and move through some things. And yeah, this has been great. Thank you so much for having me. It's a real pleasure. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. Before we get started, let's take a small break to say thank you to this week's sponsors.